Numbers chapter 20, continuing our study in the life of Moses. We have entitled the message this morning, Death on the Rock. Death on the Rock. Let's just unite our heart. Short word of prayer as we come to this passage, the preaching of it. Father in heaven, we do thank thee for our church meeting service this morning. Thank the Lord for the congregation. Bless thee for the singing. Thank thee for those on the instruments as well. Lord, we pray that thou would be pleased to help us to have that song in our heart, not only in the Lord's day, but every day of the week, of the soul set free. And we pray that thou would accept of our thanks when able to read thy word. And we pray, Lord, for help now as we come before it. Give us, Lord, understanding. O oh God, we pray for the help of the Holy Spirit, not only in preaching, but in the hearing of the word. And Lord, that thou would bless every waiting heart. To that end, fill us with thy spirit and with power. Give me, Lord, those words that must and will prevail. Give us those prevailing words. We pray, Lord, for signs following even the preaching of thy word. We ask in our Savior's name. Amen. The passage before us is a sad chapter. It begins with death, and it ends with death. And in between, there is a sinful incident that also leads to death. Miriam, the sister of Moses, whom we've come across from the beginning of the life of Moses, and periodically since the nation of Israel left the land of Egypt up until this present time, is now reported in just six English words to be dead. This must have been a terrible loss for Moses. Now she wasn't perfect, as no human being is, but she yet was his eldest sister. You remember when he was born, it was Miriam who was to watch over the little ark of bulrushes that was placed in the river, hiding the little child called Moses. She was found there, and she wanted to see how God would deliver him. And so she was there when Pharaoh's daughter came along and found him. And she acted quickly with great imagination and great wisdom for she comes out of her hiding place and she asked Pharaoh's daughter would she want her to go and find a nurse to look after the child for her. And of course she was given that assent to do so and with great astuteness she goes and she gets Moses' mother. And so Moses' mother is reunited and under the authority of Pharaoh's daughter, she is able to raise the child. Moses now, approaching maybe we would say 120 years of age, has had Miriam and Aaron all along the way. There was that occasion where she and Aaron were jealous of the special unique position that Moses held. And you know that of that time when, because of that, she was to know the judgment of God upon her. But you know, she was also to know the mercy of God because she was delivered from her leprosy. And now her death reminded all of the judgment of God. Not one of that generation, bar Caleb and Joshua, would enter into the promised land. And her death reminds us all of the wages of sin and of the reality of the great last enemy that has to be faced. But before the chapter is through, there's another death. 
And it is that, this time of Aaron, the brother of Moses, that we'll have to wait until another occasion to give consideration to it. Because in between these two, there's a sad happening. And it is an happening that is an occasion of sin which leads to the death of Moses himself. Indeed, we might say that what we're about to look at, men and women, young people, is what is the most tragic event in the life of Moses. The wilderness wanderings were nearly over. 38 years has passed since they were at Kadesh. And in their unbelief, they didn't go into the land. And that time when they were leaving Egypt, we're now instructed they're near the end. I get that because we can turn to Numbers 33 and the words of verse 38. And Aaron the priest went up into Mount Hor at the commandment of the Lord and died there. In the 40th year, after the children of Israel were come out of the land of Egypt in the first day of the fifth month. We're in the first month, according to Numbers 20. But it's the same chapter in which we read of Aaron's death. And it's 40 years since they left Egypt. It's 38 years since they turned away from Kadesh. And for the most part, those years have just passed without notice. For the most part, they were just a blank in the life of the nation. And men and women, does that not indeed sum up sin? It just leaves a blank in the lives of men and women, and it leaves a blank of anything good. What we need to consider this morning, or want to consider, is the sin that determined the death of Moses at the rock. I want you to see the shortage, first of all. For having got back now to Kadesh, as you see from the words of verse 1, essentially they're on the last part of the journey. That last part would take them from Kadesh up along the Jordan Basin and to that point where they would cross over into the Promised Land. But here we are told of the problem. And the problem was there was a shortage of water, verse 2, and there was no water for the congregation. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. Now, in one sense, we ought not to be surprised at that because we read in verse 1, they're in a desert, a desert of sin. Yet nevertheless, that doesn't lessen the seriousness of it. Here is a shortage that was repeated. It will be mentioned again in the next chapter ere they get into the land of promise, into that Jordan Basin. And it certainly has been something we've come across already in our studies. It has been mentioned already in the course of their travels. The reason that we don't read of it more often is because God provided it miraculously for them. And while we don't know anything of this in the physical sense, in this land, we truly are blessed with having water. You know, young person, remember this. You can do without many a thing in life. For a long time, you can do without things, but you can't do without water. The body even can survive without food for a longer time, but it can't survive without water. And how we ought to be thankful uh, that the Lord has given us a provision of water. And for that reason, it makes water a good symbol of God's salvation. You ever think of that? Well, you should have if you are here last Sunday night because we were speaking about the Lord at the well. 
and how he used the illustration of the water to that Samaritan woman in that he offered her that living water from which she would never thirst again. And that was an illustration of God's salvation. And there are many who repeatedly reject this most valuable blessing to their souls. Indeed, it is the most precious shortage that any man or woman can have in life. The water of God's salvation is the most important need for every soul, lest they perish, and lest their cry be like that of the rich man that we read in Luke 15, who died and was buried, and in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and his cry was for a, but a drop of water to be placed on his tongue. But you'll notice, not only is it repeated, but there's also the accusation here. By the time these years have passed, the old generation has passed away. The wilderness is littered with graves. But the up-and-coming generation seem to have the same attitude, rebellious attitude. Because when the problem becomes obvious, they too gather themselves to Moses and to Aaron with their accusations. Do you see the terrible attitude that is displayed by them in verse 3? The people chode with Moses and spake, saying, Would God that we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. They wished that they were dead instead of alive. That attitude doesn't profit anyone in the face of problems. That's the attitude of the quitter, which doesn't solve anything. It was an attitude that also criticized the way God had dealt with them. They were so unthankful for the way in which God had protected them and provided for them all these years. And it all leads to accusing Moses unjustly, accused of bringing him up into this place in order to kill them. He had heard the same accusations before, and now it has been aired again. Oh, doesn't the devil often use and repeat the old things that hurt to discourage the people of God? And if that wasn't bad enough, then Moses is accused of not being competent. Verse 5, And wherefore have you made us to come up out of Egypt to bring us into this evil place? It is no place of seed or of figs or of vines or of pomegranates. Neither is there any water to drink. The blame is laid fair and squarely upon Moses for not having brought them into the land of promise. His accusers ignore the truth. Why they were still in the wilderness. Why they were not in that promised land. Had they listened. Had they followed Moses. Then they would have been there already. Enjoying the land of all good things. Moses hadn't brought them up here to die. They had ignored the truth. That they had been full of unbelief. And that's why they had turned back at Kadesh the first time. And they're saying to him, Moses, you brought us into this desert to die. You have failed to bring us into the land of promise. There isn't even enough water for us or for our beasts. Isn't it always interesting how the wicked and rebellious mind can twist the facts so easily? What was the response of Moses? He shows great grace as there follows the supplications for the shortage. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. 
all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. To the current problem, Moses and Aaron did what they'd always done. They brought their supplications before the Lord. You look at verse 6. Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly onto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. They fell upon their faces. The glory of the Lord appeared unto them. When trouble came upon Moses, he went to God with it. How often we fail to take that course of action when troubles arise. Oh, instead of seeking God, we seek to deal with it this way or that way. We want to go our own way. We turn to this one or to that one when we ought to remember that God is the great resolver of problems. And coming before his word, it is then that he does direct It's then that he does show us the way in which we ought to go. Let me ask this morning, before we go any further, is there a shortage in your life spiritually? And bring it to the Lord. Get before God and heed his word and the answer that he gives. For his ways are always the best. And conversely, if you don't heed his word, then it only adds to the problem. And we should learn that even from the shortage that is spoken about in this passage. But we need to move on because I want you to see here the supply. The Lord is never caught off guard when problems are concerned. He wants to command Moses to do something. As you'll find from the words of verse 7 and onward, because you'll notice there the Lord answers prayer. And the Lord answers Moses. And I believe we should take note of the specifics of what God commanded Moses to do. First of all, and the boys and girls will understand these little things. The first thing was to do with the rod. So it involved the rod, possibly the rod of Aaron, that was to be kept before the Lord in the Ark of the Covenant. And that being so, you remember how it was used previously when it budded and blossomed and brought forth fruit to stop the murmuring of the children of Israel. It confirmed also the authority that God had bestowed upon Moses and Aaron. And the Lord commanded Moses to take it again into his hand. The specifics meant also that he was to go before the congregation. The miracle that was to happen was to take place in a a public manner. The first time around when God gave the water from the rock, you remember... That he commanded only Moses and the elders to go. But here the whole congregation are to witness what was to happen. You see, men and women, the truth never fears examination. It shows how excellent it really is. And the third piece, the third specific was that he was to speak unto the rock. Look at verse 8. Take the rod, gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes. And it shall give forth his water, and thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock, so thou shalt give the congregation and their beasts drink. All that was required of Moses was to speak to it. But sadly, he was to do what he did the first time, and he was to smite the rock. All that God commanded was for him to speak to the rock. The rock would give forth the water. That rebukes what we are 
to see shortly as the disobedience of man. For the rock would obey God better than the Israelites were obeying the Lord. You know, often we can learn that same lesson in our day. For if nature was as rebellious as humans are to God, what a mess things would be. You just think of that. If the sun, the moon, or the stars did not stay in their course, then there would be chaos, there would be destruction. If the earth did not revolve around the sun at the same pace, if the earth did not stay at that tilt in, 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 in its axis the way it should, then chaos would reign. When you're tempted to disobey the Lord, and just think, just stop and consider how nature itself, how creation is in constant obedience to its creator God. And the, word, the Lord God upholds this world by the word of his power. And the earth keeps spinning on its axis. The same pace around the sun. Moon, stars are there as well. They're all in their course. The promise of the Lord was that the rock would give forth the water. And that water, you will note, was to be in its abundance. Look at the words of verse 11. Moses lifted up his hand with his rod. He smoked the rock twice. And the water came out abundantly. And the congregation drank and their beasts also. There's copious amounts of water. There must have been. Because we are conscious of the great numbers of people, the millions that were there, and we're conscious of also of their animals and their beasts that, that were with them. And so the water must have been in a great abundance supply. You see, men and women, God doesn't do things by half measure. He doesn't manifest his power in half measures. He didn't at the cross of Calvary. He doesn't in salvation. It takes an old sinner from their sin right into glory. Right into that celestial city. He's able to supply the needs of his people. He's able to supply our every need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. The storehouses of God are full and they're at the disposal of his people. And so when you're facing a problem, remember rather than looking on the horizontal or rather looking on the circumstances that may discourage, look on the vertical. Consider that God is greater than any circumstances and so therefore keep your eye, your gaze fixed upon him rather than on the means of supply. There is a significance in this incident as well. And you'll note it in how and what they call the water. Verse 13, this is the water of Meribah. Now, if you come back to Exodus chapter 17, and the words of verse 7, you will see the first instance of this, where he gave the water from the rock. It says, And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the chiding of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? That first place, God provided the water. Now that place was called Rephidim, but they called it Meribah. And they called it Meribah because it is a word that means strife. 
this, the people strove. And here they use the same name again. Because the same circumstances are exactly what they were before. In fact, we read it already that the people chewed with Moses. They were chiding. They were striving again. The lesson, men and women, is sometimes God leaves reminders in our life so that we would not make the same mistakes twice and therefore avoid repeating the same sins over again. One Meribah ought to be enough. It ought to be enough. For when we repeat our sin, then we only ask for more pain, more scars, more judgment. There is a supply. But I want you to notice also in this passage the sin. Unfortunately, while the instruction of God was clear and plain, Moses did not do exactly what God had commanded. And half obedience is disobedience. He spoke to the people instead of to the rock. And he spoke to them in anger. Then he struck the rock twice and while it did give forth the, the abundance of water and the people were able to drink, yet it was not after the manner in which God had commanded. So much so that this was a sin. And the reason why Moses was excluded from the promised land. But lest you would be thinking that is a very harsh judgment on God's part, then I want you to consider closely the verses that we have before us and you'll see that it was justified. The sin in question with Moses was that of disobedience. Verse 11, And Moses lifted up his hand and with his rod he smoked the rock twice. God didn't tell him to do that. He disobeyed. The verses tell us all that is required. And with the rod in his hand, he was to strike that rock. That's what he had done the first time. And so Moses, we might say, had a precedent. But this time he was only to speak to it. It makes no difference how you did something the first time if God tells you to do it differently the next time. You see, the Lord is not confined just to one means. You think of Peter. He instructed Peter to preach on the day of Pentecost along with the apostles. And Peter preached. You go a little further into the book of Acts. He singled out one man by the name of Philip and he said to go into the desert. And Philip was to go into that desert and he wasn't to preach to a great crowd but he was to climb up into one of the chariots and he said to the man sitting in the chariot understandest thou what thou readest? And from the same scripture he preached unto him Jesus or he spoke of the Lord. And the outcome was the same in both in the day of Pentecost as was it was in the chariot in the desert in that precious souls were converted and turned by faith to Christ. God has many means. And this time around he said to Moses, speak unto the rock. But if you thought that that was the only sin of Moses in this instance, then you must think again because there's a sin here of dishonoring God, dishonoring the people. I want you to turn to Psalm 106. It is a, a good commentary on where we are this morning. Psalm 106 and verse 33. 
I'll just read verse 32 while you're turning. It says, They angered him also at the waters of strife, so that it went ill with Moses for their sakes. Why was that so? Verse 33, Because they provoked his spirit, so that he spake unadvisedly with his lips. You'll see how the psalmist guided by the Holy Spirit is to speak of this time. He spoke unadvisedly with his lips. And there's no difficulty in seeing what that uh, conversation was if you come back to Numbers chapter 20 and verse 10. For it says, Hear ye now, ye rebels. Must we fetch you water out of this rock? What he said was true. They had been rebels. They had been rebels from the very moment that they had left the land of Egypt up until this present time. But he said it in anger. For that is where unadvisedly comes from. It's a word meaning anger or rashly. He lashed out at them. And that was uncalled for. Does it not show us the importance of having the right spirit when we speak? He spoke unadvisedly with his lips. But if you look at verse 10 again, there's the greater dishonor of God. I wonder, did you see it? Take your pen and underline it. Here now, ye rebels, us addressing the people. And he says, must we fetch you water out of this rock? must we and by using we he was assuming some honor that didn't belong to him he was implying to the people it's me and Aaron that's going to get you water out of this rock of course that's totally wrong the we takes upon himself and Aaron the honor that belonged to God alone. It would only be by the power of God alone that the water would come forth. But Moses implies now an amount of honor belonged to him. And that's why when it comes to the Lord speaking in verse 12, that this sin is laid bare. Because the Lord says, because ye believe me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Moses, you didn't sanctify me there. When you said, must we fetch you water out of this rock? Matthew Henry said, the commentator, he said, they did not give him that glory of this miracle which was due unto his name. So there's the sin of dishonoring God. And another sin is obvious from verse 12, is that of disbelief. Because ye believe me not. Lack of faith on the part of Moses was the root of the problem. Now that seems astounding after all these years that Moses had believed God. Moses, a great man of faith, gets himself into Hebrews chapter 11 and he believed God, but it teaches us that here is an old enemy of the soul that can raise its head at any time and when we least expect it. The scriptures do not lie. He didn't believe the way in which God had said he would get the water. Not that he lacked faith in the power of God because Moses above all had seen the power of God many times over. But he didn't believe the plan of God to do it. Let's be careful not to let up. In our walk of faith, the further you get on the road with God, the nearer you get to the finishing line. Let's not let up. 
but pray instead that the Lord might increase your faith. The sin of Moses was met with a quick response from God. There's the divine displeasure here. There's a judgment to follow. For verse 12 tells us, Because ye believe me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. Exclusion. Moses, you're excluded from the land of Canaan. He wouldn't lead the nation of Israel across that Jordan into the promised land. It may seem to the careless reader on the outward to be very harsh. I want to dispel that from your view this morning. Because please remember that shall not the judge of all the earth do right. His ways are perfect. He had been greatly privileged, but with privilege comes greater responsibility. And to do what he did after these privileges makes his sin all the worse. There was a public dishonor. This was in front of all the congregation. His sin was before the whole people. Everyone saw him lose his temper. They heard him exalt himself before God. Shall we bring water out of this rock? Now, men and women, that doesn't mean sin is less or is played down or is excused when it's in private. Don't get that impression. Proverbs 15, and the words of verse 3, The eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. But a greater shame is brought upon the name of the Lord when we sin openly and before the gaze of the public. And that's what was the case with Moses here. He brought dishonor upon God's name. He took honor unto himself. And he lost his temper with the people. And God said, you're excluded from Canaan. But we haven't even got to the greatest indictment against Moses yet. Why was he not to get across that Jordan into Canaan? It's because the picture of Christ here is misrepresented. Herein lies the crux as to why Moses was punished severely. His actions destroyed the message and type of what Christ would come to do. We know from 1 Corinthians that rock is Christ. The smiting of the rock the first time brings us to Calvary. But to smite the rock the second time, it ruins the type that is pictured. Because Christ was to be smitten but once. Do you see it? Hebrews chapter 9, words are verse 28. So Christ was once offered to bear the sin of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. How we could go to various texts of Scripture. First Peter 3 and 18 will maybe suffice. Because it tells us there, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. He died unto sin once. Calvary covers it all. 
There's only one sacrifice for sin, one offering forever. And after Christ had offered that once for all sacrifice for sin, we only need to speak to him to receive that everlasting water from which we will never thirst. He was smitten but once. Reject that message, dear loved one, and you not gain entrance into heaven. And hence Moses in type shows us what happens to those who reject the gospel. They will not enter into that eternal rest. Make sure that you don't remain unbelieving as far as Christ and the gospel is concerned. For the unbelieving shall have their part in the lake that burneth with fire and brimstone. That's what the word reminds us. May the Lord enable you to rest by faith on the finished work of Christ. Not a church, not anything else, just the finished work of Christ because he was smitten once, once for all, O sinner, receive it. May the Lord bless his word, even to our hearts this morning, for his own name's sake. 318, we'll sing in closing, beneath the cross of Jesus I fain would take my stand. The shadow of a mighty rock within a weary land, a home within the wilderness, a rest upon the way from the burning of the noontide heat and the burden of the day. We'll just sing the first four verses, please. The first four verses, and then we'll have the benediction. 318.
thank thee for thy word. We thank the Lord for the teaching. And O oh God, we bless thee as brings us even to Calvary. We thank thee, Lord, for the one who was smitten and who was rejected of men. And Lord, was that man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. We praise the Lord. It was a once for all sacrifice. Thank the Lord, Calvary can never be repeated. And Lord, we thank thee today that Christ paid it all. And oh, Father, we pray for any unseen. They would not reject the message of the gospel or of the Savior. But Lord, that they might step in by faith. They might, Lord, seek thee, even in repentance of their sin, and seek thee even to save them. Oh, God, we thank the Lord that thou art one that keeps thy word, that thou will give them that abundant, everlasting water from which they will never thirst again. Speak on to your hearts, we pray. Bless those that will leave at this point. Lord, go before them. Bless those that remain for the table and do our souls good. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.